Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. My name is Dominique DeFalco, and I'm so excited to have our first official episode today with our very first guest. Before we get started, I want to give a huge thanks to Joe Phelan at Port City Pet for helping us get this started, and also a huge thanks to everyone who has been so incredibly supportive after our teaser episode. The love and support we've seen is just astronomical and out of this world, and it makes me so much more confident to bring this corner of the hobby into the light. So as we get started, I have a very special guest for our first episode. Um, our guest today is not only an incredible keeper, but she is a phenomenal hots keeper. She's also an amazing admin for the female herpers and reptile keepers group. And she's got so much stuff to share with us today. So I want to introduce Elise Legault. Hi, Dom. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for coming with us tonight. I'm so excited. I am too. I'm, I'm so flattered that you would choose me as your first official guest. So thank yeah. you for that. I couldn't think of anyone better as uh, we met just, well, we virtually met just a couple months ago and you've been <laughs> such an incredible uh, advocate and educator to me for women in venomous keeping. And I was like, what's the first way to start off with a bang, Elise, is the way to go. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> of course. So um, as we get started, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little intro to who you are and what you do. Um, sure. I am originally from Alabama and laws are strict there regarding venomous. So uh, I live in Mississippi now with my husband and we both run E-squared Exotics Um and we, we just kind of specialize in variety, if that makes sense. Um, we try to offer a little bit of everything to everyone. And we also do educational programs and um, gotten pretty heavy in the industry within the last few years, especially as a team. Um, my husband's been in the industry for a long, long time. But, uh, and I've kept, you know, as a hobby for a long time, but uh, I'm, you know, within the last five or six years is when I've become more, you know, professional and sort of dedicated my life to doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know that you mentioned that uh, you and your husband are E-squared exotics. Um, so I know that this is your full-time career now. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, we both got to kind of retire from our day jobs back at the end of, I guess, 2014. Um, he was a delivery driver. I was a bartender and, um, we both just kind of decided let's give it our all and, uh, haven't looked back since. That's so incredible. I know that's a dream for a lot of people. So oh, yeah, <laughs> I would love to chat more about that, but before we get into what you and your husband do, can you tell me a little bit about your journey keeping reptiles? So when did you get into it? What was your first love reptile wise and how that kind of evolved to where you are today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's not a typical story. I didn't uh, grow up with reptiles, but I always had an appreciation for them. And um, the reptile house at any zoo I ever went to was just the highlight of everything for me. Um, <laughs> and growing up in the Bible Belt, like I did, reptiles, especially snakes, are just demonized, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, they are Satan. And uh, I never really thought that was accurate or fair. And um, I'm just, you know, 
I, I always wanted to be kind of a spokesperson for them and uh, dispel old wives tales and myths and because they're so prevalent, especially in the South. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. I guess I, uh, I didn't really consider how especially potentially religious upbringing can have such an effect on how you view reptiles mm. and, and snakes specifically. Do you mind going into that a little bit more? Were you actively oh, taught against like handling snakes and reptiles? Not at all. Um, my parents are some of the most kind, understanding, compassionate to everything people. So I was, I had a, an amazing upbringing and they, um, neither of them were religious, but he was Jewish and she was raised Episcopalian. So they kind of provided a little bit of both without too much pressure for either. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, my siblings and I were able to choose basically, you know, whatever we wanted to believe and whatever we wanted to do. Um, neither of my parents are animal people. Um, we grew up with like a dog, you know, and bunnies, mm-hmm. but they, they weren't particularly reptile people, but they're both so supportive of everything that we do. And uh, I, I know working with cobras and stuff makes my dad just so nervous but um but they're they're both great and just mega supportive they love that I'm doing something that I love and that's how they raised us so um personally no um no religious anything or negative connotations regarding snakes but I I was exposed to it through the majority of people Mm -hmm. that I grew up around so um I actually got into snakes physically when um, I got with my first boyfriend around 16 years old. He was one of those guys that, you know, just his mom would tell me stories about him toddling off into the woods in a rubber diaper (laughs) and coming back with a king snake, you know. Um, But he was really into them and exposed me to all different kinds of species and we started going to uh, reptile shows together mm-hmm. and, you know, buying an animal here and there. And before we knew it, the collection had gotten out of hand real quick, you know? Yeah. I um, think that's how it goes. You know, it's like a snowball. You get one, then you get four. And then once you're above exactly. 10, it really doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and there was uh, little to no theme in the beginning, which I highly recommend not going that route you know Mm -hmm. like pick a theme stick to it we were all over the place Mm -hmm. Um, can you can you talk a little bit more about that about picking a theme because I know I I think a lot of people kind of get in the hobby and they're like I want one of everything so how did you kind of pick your theme or pick what you wanted to focus on well uh like I said earlier it I I don't want to sound hypocritical we don't really have a theme Mm -hmm. um we work with a little bit of everything but for beginner keepers I do think it's a good idea to kind of decide what you are passionate about and um, learn everything you can about it. Become just a pro in that specific species or Mm -hmm. family or whatever. And, um, you know, when you're more comfortable, branch out. But we just kind of dove in headfirst and that might work for some people. Um, I don't personally recommend doing it, but it was a, a good learning experience for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Really gets you get get your feet wet. <laughs> just oh yeah, get get my ears wet. I mean, I we just <laughs> yeah, 
we really, really dove in head first, but he had a lot of prior knowledge and experience. So um, I think it worked out the way that it was supposed to. I was exposed very quickly in my late teens to just a little bit of everything. And Mm -hmm. that includes venomous. Um, We would go out herping and, uh, you know, in Alabama, you have only a couple of species available, mm-hmm. uh, but it was always so exciting to stumble on like a cotton mouth, you know, or um, a copperhead or, you know, a king snake in the road. Like mm-hmm. it was always really, really cool. Any, any snake in the wild is the most exciting snake you'll see. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, no. that was how we got our kicks. <laughs> it was just <laughs> road, road cruising is what we called it. We mm-hmm. didn't even call it herping, but you know, he, um, would see something in the road and scream snake, snake, you know, and, uh, it was just the biggest thrill. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, um, after you, you parted ways with him, how did you continue to evolve in your hobby and eventually, uh, meet your husband and, and, you know, become business partners uh, as well? Um, meeting my husband is a funny story. We actually met at the very first expo that I ever attended as a customer and it was really? his first expo as a vendor. <laughs> the cat is running across the screen. This is Jim. I'm so sorry. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna cameo several times. He no, does this whenever, it's expected. whenever anyone's on the computer, he wants to be <laughs> up in it. He's 17 senile. Oh. He's the star of the show, you know, as he should be. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> so you said that you were a customer at an expo and your husband was vending? Yeah, I uh, I mentioned earlier my first boyfriend and I would go to these expos in uh, Birmingham, the Dixie Reptile Show. And um, my husband was at the first expo that we attended as a vendor, his first time vending. So it was, it was weird and cute. We didn't actually get together for a long, long time after that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was with someone, he was with someone, we lived in other States. There were actually a few relationships for both of us before we actually ended up together, but we did meet um, in the early two thousands at the first show that I ever attended. That's so cute. That's like the the (laughs) Romeo and Juliet of the snake world. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little fucking fairy tale, you know, it's great. I love it. So Um. at that time, at that time, what was he primarily working with or still a little bit of everything? Um, he was at, when I met him, he was actually like a chameleon King of Mississippi. He worked with veils and he was Mm -hmm. the best Mm -hmm. at breeding veils. He dabbled in a little bit of everything. His, his dad's an entomologist. Um, a published entomologist. He was actually chairman of the biology department at Ole Miss until a few years back when he retired. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so he grew up around, you know, bugs, animals in general. And um, so, but yeah, when I met him, he, he did a little bit of everything, but definitely best at veiled chameleons around. Yeah, that's awesome. So um you said that you kind of got started with your first boyfriend and you were just doing a bit of everything. So besides the road cruising, as you called it, um, how did you get into HOTS specifically? And and what was your transition like from more traditional animals into the venomous realm? Yeah. um, Well, I always had an affinity for HOTS, you know, Um, always thought they were just beautiful and misunderstood. And um, at a young age, even I recognized that, they serve a purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. they have a place. And um, 
So living in Alabama, I was restricted to what hots I could work with. Um, they have pretty strict laws. Uh, basically, if it's not native, you can't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and back when I first started working with reptiles, uh, you you could get a permit for more exotic animals, um, mm-hmm. but they they stopped issuing those a long time ago and didn't grandfather in anyone except zoos and universities, maybe like very, very specific. Yeah. We've had the entities. same things happen in Ohio. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I have a friend from Ohio. He told me uh, he actually lives in Texas now because mm, a lot of people Ohio make that move. Real strict, real quick. So yeah, we had yeah. a we had a uh, an unfortunate incident where a gentleman uh, released a large number of um, large cats and bears, and then unfortunately did uh, kill himself. And it was a complete 180 from our laws being rather generous with what you were allowed to keep to just completely shut down and strict within the course yeah. of like a year and a half. You know, it, it was an unfortunate takes, situation. Yeah, yeah. It, it only takes one instance like that to just, uh, you know, change the entire hobby. Um, legislation gets changed after mega events go down like that. And mm-hmm. it affects everyone. Yeah, so. absolutely. Especially people who do this as a livelihood. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially. Mm-hmm. So as you're saying that you've always had an affinity for hot, um, what was what you first started working with and, and how did you kind of grow to develop the collection you have now? Well, um, back when I was in Alabama, I had, uh, I, I would go herping and, you know, catch a cotton mouth or a copperhead mm-hmm. and um, I wouldn't keep it long term. Uh, and oftentimes when we would go around uh, either road cruising or we'd go to um, various local lakes and just walk around the perimeter and you'd always find something, you know, um, seasonally, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, we would, we started by just uh, walking around, finding stuff, road cruising, taking pictures and we tried to be little scientists. We would, you know, document uh, length and uh, weight. We would take pictures and just kind of mess around with it, um, observe its demeanor. And that's how we familiarized ourselves with, you know, Hoxton Jenner or how I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, going out in small groups and having spotters available in case things went awry until we got more comfortable at least. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was definitely a thing and I recommend it for anyone that wants to start out you know don't go it alone Mm -hmm. um but you know things various species different things move act different their temperaments different so um we just started out familiarizing ourselves with everything like that just the basics bare bones Mm -hmm. and um from there, I would, you know, keep a timber or a cotton mouth that I found, or I had a, uh, one of my uncles called me one time and said, you're lucky. I love you. I have a rattlesnake in a five gallon <laughs> bucket. You better come get it. Um, so, you know, but that it was all kind of catch and release after some observation. And that, that was my intro to hots. It was kind of organic. Mm-hmm. And uh, not separate at all from my intro to reptiles in general. They kind of happened at the same time. 
Mm -hmm. And so did you eventually transition to a more formal mentorship program or were you more primarily self-taught? I would say more primarily self-taught, but um, then again, the the guy that got me into this and um, my husband later on were so experienced already that they were kind of my mentors. And then Mm -hmm. um, when I started going to expos and making uh, connections, networking and stuff, I found just a plethora of really solid, qualified, experienced people that I could pick their brain. And um, it's just been a gradual incline from there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I know that a a lot of people, um, I put out a question to people asking what they'd like to know about working with Venomous and and being in the Venomous hobby in general. And one thing that came up was how do you find a mentor? Um, So I know that you specifically work with some uh, younger people as interns in your facility and in helping out. So what has been the process like for you becoming a mentor and how do you recommend other people find that? Um. Yeah, I, um, I do have a couple of interns. Um, I'm, I'm down to one now, but um, mm-hmm. they, they have, you know, gotten in touch with us through like uh, their school groups or, you know, a- anytime that we've had someone come and work for us, it's been either a friend of a friend, word of mouth, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we don't mind uh, educating and mentoring, but it's a serious commitment on a lot of different levels and there's Mm -hmm. um, liability and, you know, all kinds of things. So you, as a mentor, you are forced to be picky and Mm -hmm. um, everything has to be on your terms. And if people, you know, can't comply or the stars just don't align, it is what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. But it, It's not something that can be forced. Um, As far as where I live, I actually moved from Alabama to Mississippi, not only because my husband lived here, but the laws are so much more forgiving. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what is it like to get involved with with HOTS in Mississippi? Well, Mississippi is, um, as my husband says, the last bastion of hope (laughs) when it comes (laughs) to working with HOTS. Um, There are... A handful of states that have very, very lenient to no laws, basically. Mississippi is one of the more uh, lax, I would say, and I don't mean that in a bad way, mm-hmm. but um, as far as legislation goes, they really only regulate indigenous species. So mm-hmm. Mississippi's ass backwards in the fact that you can own a gaboon viper with no permit now barring city ordinances and things like that uh but for most of the state you are not required to have any hours logged uh, Mm -hmm. a mentor any sort of permit whatsoever um they they do regulate native species though and Mm -hmm. uh, the way that they do that is pretty simple if you have an in-state fishing and hunting permit which is about ten dollars a year you can legally own four of any species as long as it occurs in the state. So four of each species or just four of any? Okay, so four of each species, but you can't go over 24 total of Of any native, native? like of natives, period. Yeah, you can only have 
Yeah. Is that with venomous and non-venomous? It's regarding venomous. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the laws get a little more twisted when it comes to non-venomous. There, there are a lot of things that you can legally own, but you can't buy or sell. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with so. Uh, laws being rather lax in your area, um, what is your protocol when it comes to selling uh, venomous species or breeding? Like, how do you work to ensure that anyone who is buying or working with your animals is qualified to do so? We mostly sell venomous out of state uh, at okay. expos in, mm-hmm. say, Texas or Louisiana, where mm-hmm. there are permits required and the laws are a little different. So basically, I have printed out a liability waiver mm-hmm. that everyone has to sign. And if we are selling in a state where permits are required, I need to see your permit. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain states that kind of have a a grace period where I could legally sell you a snake and then you have 30 days to get said permit and said Mm -hmm. hours. Once you sign that release, that's on you. But just to be a responsible keeper and breeder and vendor, I'm definitely going to want to talk to you for a hot minute and Mm -hmm. make sure that you're qualified. Um, I don't necessarily require experience it's a case by case basis. You can mm-hmm. get a good yeah, read absolutely. on people. Everyone needs to start somewhere as well. So, right, right, right. So yeah. Um, if, if I talk to you and you have an outlet for hours logged or a mentorship or whatever, you know, and you seem like not a dumbass, <laughs> um, <laughs> harder you know, and harder then, to come by nowadays. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a judgment call ultimately. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, uh, kind of walking the tightrope between wanting to educate the public and get people on board to support these species that are so underrated and unloved. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, making sure that you don't put somebody on the news yeah, absolutely. Indirectly, and jeopardize, you know, like, jeopardize our hobby. And jeopardize the hobby, exactly. You know, the mm-hmm. hobby that we've all worked so hard to, you know, make a stable thing and a way of life and a career and mm-hmm. uh, just, you know. A community. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, going back to us kind of mentioning that everyone has to start somewhere. So when we asked people for questions for you, um, a question came up of where do you start as far as first species when you wanted to get into venomous? Would you go with something native? Would you be more interested in potentially a rear fanged venomous animal? What is your general protocol for a new venomous keeper in that regard? I would say it depends on your region. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend natives because, um, simply put, if worse comes to worse, you have access to antivenom. Ideally, you know, hospitals mm-hmm. are going to carry the antivenom for native species over something more exotic, mm-hmm. uh, king cobra, for instance, you know. So um, it does depend on where you live in. Uh, I started with, you know, copperheads, cottonmouths, and I like to recommend them. Mm-hmm. to beginners, uh, mainly because of the toxicity level, you know, um, copperheads right. are notoriously weak. 
but um, still don't want to get bit, but yes. <laughs> still no joke. Yeah, I know. Right. But like, yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so rear fanged, I, I don't even know. Um, I, I barely even count them as a beginner venomous because they don't act like the majority of truly potent species, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you want hardcore experience, um, honestly, my recommendation is to start out with a really, really pissy colubrid, a Vietnamese blue beauty or, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And then you can, uh, you know, learn to judge their movements dodge bites and if you get bit it's no big deal Mm because it's a rat snake right but uh and then from there you know you can move on to something like a copperhead or a cotton mouth which are very defensive so you're gonna get that behavior of Mm -hmm. I want to kill you Mm -hmm. but um yeah so that I guess that would be my recommendation for uh beginners um, but everyone has their preferences. I've seen right. polls on Facebook about like, what do you think is the best beginner snake and it's, or beginner venomous snake. And it just, it's all across the board. You know, a lot of people recommend kaboom vipers and because they're, they're so slow. Um, <laughs> the only thing Air they quotes. do fast. Yeah. The only thing they do fast is strike. Right. right? <laughs> so, um, no, not, not my recommendation, but I see it all the time, you know, mm-hmm. um, not to mention the length of the fangs and the probability of not being a dry bite. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, I, I think that's a silly recommendation for a beginner, but everybody has their own opinion. So mm-hmm. I'm not knocking anybody, but um, I, I would start small and just go with like a really, really aggressive colubrid and then something that venom is not as potent as your next mm-hmm. step up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's really great advice, especially with the the pissy rat snake. That's not something mm. I would have thought of, but it makes sense. Um, hey, you got to do something to make yourself comfortable, you know, with yeah, the, that attitude. I always, yeah. I mean, I get tagged by my green trees more than I would like to admit. So I don't think I'm I'm nearly ready for venomous. <laughs> You know, come to think of it, a green tree wouldn't be a bad uh, intro to that because they can be a little pissy. And mm-hmm. uh, those depends on the ones no you're joke. working with. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun species to work with, but especially during, during COVID times, I can always mm. tell when I've got a bite on my hands because the amount of hand sanitizer I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> That's always, yeah, you don't even know your hands are as cut up as they are until you sanitize. Right. <laughs> and it's like, Absolutely. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, we had a couple other questions about, um, like learning to work with hots. And one thing that a few people mentioned was uh, proper technique as far as learning to use hooks or learning to um, handle venomous when you don't necessarily have the hands-on experience um, with a venomous animal. And then also just to generally get your opinion and view on free handling, which we know is, is a, a hot topic nowadays. Definitely controversial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, (laughs) so, um, getting into hots in general, you have your priorities. You have to be responsible. You have to be accountable. You have to be methodical, present and focused. 
um, you never, ever, ever want to get complacent mm-hmm. or cocky, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's difficult to do when you've been working with them for, you know, as long as certain people have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so responsible to always be present and um, being sober helps a lot. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> Do you have like that, rules set in place for how you interact with your animals and, and what your requirements are for your state of mind and such. Oh, absolutely. Um, obviously I'm drinking a beer during this podcast, as mm-hmm. you can see, but, um, I've already dealt with all my cobras and vipers and whatnot today. So, um, we do have strict, like sobriety policies, you know, mm-hmm. um, you definitely want to go into it with a clear head and, uh, just be as competent as possible. Never, ever, ever not pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, uh, as far as handling goes, I have gotten more comfortable over time, like it does, you know, mm-hmm. um, when I first started out, I never would have dreamed about putting hands on the back end of a cobra or mm-hmm. a big diamond back or something. But it, it's a each individual situation might call for specific behavior or mm-hmm. protocols. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you have to feel out over time. Um, whether it's personal experience or watching videos and taking diligent mental notes on what people are doing versus what they're not doing. I, I can't stress how being present and paying attention will pay off, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is going back a little bit to before we actually started recording. Um, if you don't mind speaking to, you said that you currently have, um, a cobra that is dealing with an abscess. Um, I'd love to learn more about how you work with um, animals that might need treatment that don't allow you the hands on as much as like, if I have a ball python that's sick, you know, I can open their mouth and stuff. What is, how do you work with those situations? Um, I have watched much more experienced keepers than myself do the thing. And, um, you know, just observed what they do, uh, how they do it, the order that they do it, their pace, their uh, just everything about it. And it's, it's never a sure thing, but uh, tools as far as working with things that you can't actually physically put your hands on or you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, tools are your best friend, hooks, tongs, tubes, safety boxes, transfer bins, um, long tweezers, just anything, no matter what you're doing or, you know, what procedure you're going through and working with, um, the proper tools are your best friend. They're paramount to safely Mm -hmm. doing what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I watched a friend of mine, uh, he did me a solid, uh, recently and told me to bring him my sick cobra with an abscess and uh he and his wife drained it and uh doctored it and I watched everything that they did knowing that I would probably have to do it again it's just all about learning constantly you know so this is kind of like a a good segue into another question we had is um 
you obviously first of all i have to apologize to all the sirens i live across the street from a hospital so if you feel like you're getting pulled over if anyone's listening in the car you're not it's just my house um (laughs) funny um so what uh how do you get over the fear of working with a venomous animal and go more towards a respect for working with the animal because i know personally i have limited experience with hots but i've I've worked with um, diamondbacks and I have worked with uh, copperheads just very minimally. And I know that a lot of times I am, am more scared than, than I am actually, you know, as present yeah. as I should be. So how did you, you learn to get over that part? Um, sheer experience and um, starting out really slow. Like you, you don't need to, you know, be an expert handler on your first day. You can just observe Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of research and do things at your own comfort level. You never, ever want to get ahead of yourself. Um, even after all these years, like I, I've been working with, um, you know, rattlesnakes and, and native Southeast species, venomous species for almost 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've only been working with more exotic African and Southeastern cobras, vipers, things like that for about five or six years. So not near as much, but it's baby steps. And um, you always want to know your limits. I'm really big about like admitting when you're not comfortable in a situation and not Mm -hmm. forcing it, you know, things have to happen organically. Um, I have some hard, drawn lines in the sand I will not work with mambas they're Mm -hmm. too fast Mm -hmm. and I will not work with anything with spitter or spitting in the name (laughs) is that just a personal preference is that previous experience or it's not well uh uh, barely any previous experience it's mainly the fact that I'm lazy and don't want to wear eye protection I I feel like that's a it's a sensory hindrance you know for Mm -hmm. me like Mm -hmm. um so I'm just not comfortable there and so it's a hard no Mm -hmm. um as far as anything like that goes yeah and and I think that um what it roots from is years ago we wanted to do a friend a favor and sell his Indo-Chinese spitting cobra for him Mm-hmm. And that was the first nightmare that I've ever had about a snake. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was one of those where you wake up in your dream, how you fell asleep. So I was in my motel room in a different city, like where I was going to sell him. Instead of him being at the show like he was in reality in my dream, he was in a crate that was open in my room. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it yeah bad things happened in the dream so it, <laughs> that might have <laughs> left an impression on me but I just I, I felt like that was definitely a hard you don't want to do this mm-hmm. this is beyond your bubble and your comfort level and there's nothing wrong with that no I was just gonna say I think that's incredibly admirable because um you know, something we talk about is that there's often an ego associated with reptile keeping and venomous keeping also and to have the, you know, the knowledge of yourself to be like, this is just out of my comfort zone and you respect other people who can do it, but it's not for you is, is really, really nice. Yeah, sure. Um, my, my husband and I have talked about like, uh, the, there's a certain magnetism that, 
comes with owning these animals. Uh, Tiger King is a horrible, but <laughs> amazing example of what I'm talking about. Like you can be an absolute piece of shit and people will gravitate to you because of these animals. Right. So um, I do agree with you that ego plays a, a large part in that. And it, it's hard to, you know, abate that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to not have it be prevalent. But Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, just the the kind of people that seem to be drawn to this industry, we're not all upstanding, you know, conservationist style, Mm -hmm. like, let's preserve these species type people. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that's not really how the hobby was started, you know, so. Absolutely. No. And, And people like praise all these old school keepers. Uh, for you know founding this industry and um most of them were just horrible (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know most of them were names but yeah no 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 never naming names but we know we know know. um and i'm not talking shit either really like uh they know (laughs) they've had it said to their face i don't need to be the one to do it um right but yeah (laughs) and with uh you know thinking about egos and not necessarily working with the best people. How has your experience been as a woman in Venomous? Because I know that's a, you know, it's becoming more prevalent and we're seeing a lot more people, especially in our women's group. You know, there are a decent amount of female keepers who have hots, but I feel like when you talk about people with hots, there's not a lot of women that come to mind. And how has your experience been in that regard? You know, not, not bad, not good. Um, I feel like the fact that I've been in it for years now, I, I'm just starting to maybe be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think I was ever not taken seriously, mm-hmm. but I haven't really noticed any difference between being a female working with hot specifically and being a female working with reptiles in general. It's kind mm-hmm. of the same general attitude. Um, okay. I, I do think it's funny when, um, say I'm at a venomous show and, you know, somebody asks, well, well, who cupped up all these rattlesnakes? And I'm like, that'd be me. (laughs) And they're just, their mind's blown, but why not? I'm the only one here. Like I'm the one behind my table who else would have done it. I don't know. Um, But I I get that in general, working with not hots, you know, Mm -hmm. at just any old run of the mill show. Um, I, in the beginning, it bothered me. Uh, it's taken a while to not, cause it, it does get to you, you know, to put forth so much effort and not be acknowledged or appreciated. So that, and, and that's what you're talking about with ego. So I'm human. It's been a bit of a battle sometimes more than others, but um, nowadays I try and find the humor in it. Mm-hmm. For instance, Uh, It was so funny to me last summer, I was at a show in Kansas City, Missouri, and a guy walked up and I had a male employee with me and it was just me and him. And the guy walks up customer and says, uh, oh, I I greeted him, of course, you know, it's like, hey, how you doing? Can I answer any questions for you? Because he seemed like he was waiting. And he said, oh, I'm going to wait on him. And I said, oh. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the guy that works for me and yeah, 
But, um, it, and it's also satisfying to like, you know, have people wait in line to talk to male employees of mine and then just get sent straight back to me because mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I've, uh, so. you know, I haven't been on that side of the vendor table, but <laughs> I've brought some, uh, guy friends to shows where, uh, they're greeted and asked a question and I'm like, no, nah, Hey, I'm, I'm the yeah. one with all the snakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, a. Uh, you know, that's a, a common occurrence. It was a conversation sure. I was having with someone earlier today. It was, uh, you know, it's frustrating, but you're right. There is some humor in it where you just kind of have to shake your head and be like, well, they'll learn. They'll figure it out. You know? Yeah. And it, it just makes you look cool too. <laughs> right. Right. But you know, I, I think it takes a while, at least personally for me, it took a while to find that, that place, you know, where I was mm-hmm. okay with it instead of, being defensive and feeling like Mm -hmm. I had something to prove because that's kind of, I don't want to generalize, but it seems to be a common theme in our group and, you know, with females in the industry in general, that they aren't taken quite as seriously sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just glad that we are, you know, in the throes of uh, dispelling all of that and, uh, proving that we are just as worthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, I think people are seeing that a lot, you know, we're working really hard to, to change those stereotypes and those stigmas about it. So, yeah. yeah. Now more um, than ever. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a specific question. I'm not going to mention the gentleman who asked, um, because I, I just don't know if he wants to remain anonymous or not, but he has a daughter who is really into herps and is very young. And he wanted to know what you think are like some good things to be teaching her. And if he should be teaching her that she needs to work twice as hard, or she should just be working as hard as the, the men that she's being compared to, if that makes sense. Well, I'm not a fan of the double standard and, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that we should be working twice as hard just to make the same impression. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, like, you know, you, you do you. And if you're passionate and dedicated, eventually you will, you know, um, be successful, I guess, mm-hmm. in whatever you set your mind to. And that goes for, you know, whether you want to work with hots or, you know, leopard geckos or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just I, I'm all about being the best that you can be. And um, I, I feel like it's sort of counterproductive and self-destructive to compare yourself to other people. You're always mm-hmm. going to end up feeling bad. You know, you're always going to end up feeling incompetent and inadequate. And um, that's just not fair to yourself. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. So you need to be the one to call the shots and set the standard. And as long as you're meeting your personal requirements, you're winning, you know? Yeah. Especially for little girls, you know, like they just have so much to compete against and, Mm -hmm. This shouldn't be one of those things. You should do it because you love it and because you're good at it and because it makes you feel good. And when it starts being toxic and a competition, like uh, those aren't, those are reasons to question why you're doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like incredibly well said. Um, Thank you. So going into competition a little bit, so this is changing gears a bit. 
I've had okay. a conversation with friends before where a lot of people who are into reptiles have either um, been brought into the hobby by a partner or have brought their partner into the hobby. So having gotten together with your husband and both of you having been active in the hobby, did you find any competition there between like what you were keeping and how you were keeping it? Cause I always joke that I, uh, if I'm on Tinder or something and a guy has a ball Python, I'm like, Oh shit, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh man, I just, I think there'll be a little tension there. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Cause you wear the pants. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> uh, I do. Um, no, that, that's a good question. Um, actually really like this question because so many people I I don't even know where to start but I'll start here so many people just assume that you know my husband is the big bad man and works with all the lethal stuff and I do like the cute little beardies and dragons and stuff (laughs) it it's not quite the opposite but it's uh, my husband is the gecko file he likes the cute little flighty, you know, not handleable geckos, all the little mm-hmm. micro species and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mornings, days, like uh, flying geckos on into bigger stuff like uh, Smith's green eyes and tokes and uh, Halmahera giants. Mm-hmm. He likes his geckos. I mean, he likes everything. We all do, but we um, all have an affinity towards one thing though. Right, right. And I, I think it it might surprise people, you know, and it does surprise people when they learn that he likes the cute shit. <laughs> and it's it's more me that is uh, trying to kind of advocate working with more exotic, like hots, uh, trying to diversify the collection when it comes to different vipers and cobras and rattlers like that's that's where I really get my kicks is working with that you know that's where I'm satisfied so um meanwhile you get me in front of a a flighty little gecko I don't know what I'm doing like I I look like an idiot I'm I've got a catch cup I'm just chasing it all around the room it's ridiculous so uh I'm I'm way more in control with like a, a hook or some tongs in my hand and um with species that are more predictable, at least to me, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, um, we do balance each other out really well though. In answer to your question, like Mm -hmm. I, I can see how a lot of couples might struggle to work together and don't get me wrong. Not every day is amazing. You know, (laughs) um, there, there are disputes and, um, ruffled feathers sometimes, but overall I feel like our, strengths and our weaknesses balance each other out very well um he he has his kind of focus for the business and I have my little niche which is uh he he's all about the um booking of expos and um monitoring finances and making sure that like we're going to grow a certain percentage each year Mm -hmm. as a business And then I'm all about the um, record keeping, um, Mm -hmm. hash dates, feeding, shedding, genetics and lineage. Like that, that's kind of where I shine is Mm -hmm. I'm really meticulous about that. Whereas he has other fish to fry. So um, Mm -hmm. there, there is a balance there. And um, 
kind of since the beginning, it's been really cool that we've been able to fall into this rhythm of uh, divide and conquer, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether that means our specialties, our preferences, um, what we actually value in this industry. In addition to that, there's uh, the the traveling, the constant travel that we do for shows, you know. Mm-hmm. So one of us is at home tending to breeders and fresh babies that aren't available for sale yet. And the other one is traveling across the country and selling it and doing the damn thing. And we, we try to rotate up so neither of us gets too burnt too quick, mm-hmm. um, which is a juggling act. But right, absolutely. I feel like we do pretty well <laughs> in general. So uh, with, you know, speaking to your business, um, I'd love to learn more about specifically what you do, if there's certain species that you are more commonly producing and selling, and then also talk a little bit about your education programs. And, you know, as you call yourself the Cobra Queen of Mississippi, like, (laughs) what do you do? What do you do to to show that to people and to bring that education to an area that does still have that fear of snakes? So um, the backbone of our entire business is basically leopard geckos and bearded dragons Hmm. and um it it, people don't believe me when I tell them that because it's not like what we're outspoken about and what we're Mm -hmm. passionate about but we're really really good at it Mm -hmm. and um it's just it's what I recommend as uh, beginner reptiles or, you know, I like to call them gateway reptiles that always gets a laugh out of soccer moms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My first but, reptile was a leopard gecko. So I get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, uh, that, that was maybe my third or fourth, you know, it, it was beginning of the line for sure. Uh, because they're so good in that regard, you know, mm-hmm. I've got you one couldn't sitting on my desk right for, here. Oh, bless. I love it. I've, I've got a 24 year old girl out in my building and you wouldn't even know to look at her. She's just thriving. So they're, they're just, they're so hardy. Um, they always look like they're smiling. They're stupid, easy to care for. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I feel like that is where we shine, even though it's not necessarily one of our passion projects, same with beardies, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it, they actually enable us to work with what we are really into. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the money that we make from that, we filter back into things that we do want to work with. All, also back into the projects themselves. But Right. So with, um, with Beardies and Leopard Geckos, are there specific projects or morphs that you're working with more or are you working with more traditional normal animals? Uh, we, we do have some stuff that I am really proud to work with that are, is not as traditional as uh, something you'd find in a pet shop. We mm-hmm. have been getting into carrot tail viper geckos a lot. Very cool. They are awesome. They're basically like a tiny, tiny leopard gecko, just as handleable. They like it a little more arid, mm-hmm. but they're amazing animals and just the cutest things on the planet. The hatchlings are the size of your thumbnail. I remember you posting that picture and I was like, that can't be real. That looks yeah, like a speck of yeah. dust. I know, right? The camera doesn't even want to focus because <laughs> yeah, it's so tiny. Like it, it doesn't even know where to focus. So mm-hmm. 
those are really cool. Um, we're especially proud of our uh, Malaysian flying gecko breeding project. Um, Tycho Zoan Kulai is the Latin and uh, Tycho Zoan Lionotum. Recently, I feel like they might have been reclassified to the gecko mm-hmm. genus, which I can't I can't stand. keep up with that. I can't keep up with all the reclassifications. They did it for all of the green tree pythons, and I don't know the difference. It's such a headache. Um, I, I try so hard, Dom, and I just yeah. can't keep up. Uh, and it's especially bad in the uh, tarantula and scorpion mm-hmm. communities. But uh, even uh, shit that I've memorized 10 years ago, I still kind of sporadically check in on on google just to make sure that it's still classified the same and i've been called out recently um for the viper geckos i was still calling them by their uh former genus and now they're hemidactylus which who knew um apparently since 2008 so oops but (laughs) it, it is a lot to keep up with um that that's definitely one of the you know headaches for me is just Mm -hmm. um all of the evolution of that and changing in the industry and which I did want to talk about at some point how uh and that kind of bleeds into it how I I hate the term expert anyone that identifies as yeah let's talk about that um I hate it and and I do have people that I would call an expert mm-hmm. but they would never ever refer to themselves as such you mm-hmm. know and I feel like that that is just the healthiest mindset because and and we go back to complacency here once you think you know you don't know anything mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. yeah I, I feel like that term should be abolished so um, I would look at you and, and think in my head, oh, she's an expert. She knows what she's talking about. But with oh the mentality, <laughs> with the mentality yeah. that you're not, what are you yeah. doing to actively continue to learn and, and better yourself as a keeper and then just an educator as well? Um, I am constantly researching species that I already work with just to make sure that I'm doing them justice. Mm-hmm. and doing right by them. And uh, anything that we want to get into, uh, that might be new or foreign, uh, I over-research and um, just trying to spread that education to the general public for things that we sell. Um, repeating it kind of solidifies it for me. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's good to constantly be researching, constantly be checking up on things you think you already know. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's frustrating. There are days that are like, I shouldn't be looking this up, but uh, hey, I find something new. Um, I just recently found out, and you were probably privy to it in the group, about morning gecko males. Yes, I just learned little- about that too. <laughs> Dude, I've been breeding them little shits for years. I didn't know <laughs> males existed. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I hope nobody's pissed at me that has like a male that I might have produced because I, I know I've produced over 
600 of them. And that's the yeah. ratio. Well, how is one? You want to, because I don't sell adults, I sell babies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, talking them up at shows. They're all partho. And then educating people on what parthenogenesis is. Mm -hmm. And then I come to find out literally three weeks ago, I guess, that no, males exist. They're just really rare. So now I'm like, oh, I'm... (laughs) slacking. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's um, you know, I think it's, it's so interesting too, because we're in a hobby that is, um, is constantly evolving. Like things are constantly yeah. being discovered in our hobby every day. Right. We can never know everything, even about the animals we have. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but I like that though, you know, um, the fact that things are evolving and we're learning more and, we're not just stuck with, uh, you know, I, I have an entire bookshelf of amazing hardback, like reptile books from like the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. They're completely irrelevant. They're all yeah, out of date. Like nothing in them is accurate anymore. But I, I like that, though, because that just means we're doing these animals justice you know and Mm -hmm. that goes back to what you were saying about like don't ever let your ego override anything really you know right Um, absolutely you're don't uh, my my husband's fond of saying don't let your ego override your pocketbook like you know Mm -hmm. don't let uh uh you know uh, that speaks for itself but um Mm -hmm. especially in this very expensive hobby exactly (laughs) Yeah. I've but, had to turn um, some animals down because I'm like, man, I have to eat. Yeah, I know. And it's rough. It's always rough. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I have really bad uh, willpower and discipline. So yeah, I, I, yeah. Get <laughs> I have an it, animal it, budget just every month. I can put money away for a new animal because I know that if I didn't do that, I would just buy an animal and not have the money for it. <laughs> you have to budget for it. Absolutely. And if I didn't, I would be just where I was at 17, seeing mm-hmm. Jackson's chameleons, not knowing what they are, but I have to have a trio. Like, uh, you know, That's where your husband does the books, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to strengths and weaknesses. You know, um, I am damn good at caring for these animals and providing all the knowledge and he is damn good at money. So we're just mm-hmm. going to let that ride, you know, mm-hmm. as long as we can, as far as it gets us. And um, we personally have done really, really well so far. Um, I think that has a lot to do with just uh, consistency in the industry, being a constant face at shows and a name in the, um, like, kingsnake.com mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm classified sites, uh, things like that. Just people constantly seeing our names and our faces. It makes someone more comfortable buying an animal from someone that you see at every show versus someone you have no idea who they are. It's just on Craigslist or in a random Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, Speaking with your constantly learning about the animals you're doing, how does that reflect um, in your husbandry? Because I know that oftentimes people who are larger scale breeders or have more projects they're working with, um, do you have a tendency to use 
simpler husbandry, which doesn't make it bad. It's just simpler. But how do you most specifically, how are you working to advance the husbandry and keeping of your breeder animals that are going to be with you longer term? Yeah, um, I like that question a lot because I am actually making efforts to do so. Um, Mm -hmm. Being breeders, we do keep a lot of animals in racks, Mm -hmm. but only things that would thrive in them, you know? Right. And And that's a, it's a viable way of keeping, you know, it's an accepted way of keeping, not against it or anything. I have my certain species. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For, for appropriate species, racks are just fine. Um, They're convenient. They're affordable. They're, you know, just all all the wins, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't get to see the animals. So you do have to check in on them a little more often just to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're doing okay. And that is the thing that comes with racks, unless you have like vision racks. Right. Um, Which even so I would crack those bitches once a day just to make Mm -hmm. sure. But uh, they always poop in the water bowl and then you can't see it, you know? (laughs) I kind of like when they poop in the water bowl. Oh, it's it's definitely convenient. feel like it's the most considerate thing they could possibly do some with it I always mm-hmm. thank them profusely after I curse their name uh, <laughs> I have to change it but yeah um so we we do have kind of an equal amount of uh, rack systems and uh more uh homemade kind of vision style cages mm-hmm. for our bigger animals that we do want to keep constant eyes on boa mm-hmm. constrictors, Burmese pythons. We've recently gone into, we've gotten on the bioactive train, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a popular be, train right now. It's a huge popular train. <laughs> and um, we are facilitating it because after noticing how much better it looks, first off, it mm-hmm. looks so much better. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, not only does it look better, it's more functional. It's less upkeep and maintenance it seems to mimic the natural habitat so I've got nothing against it um and then my husband who is the like financial powerhouse here is like well let's make our own dirt let's sell moss (laughs) let's sell resurrection fern branches you know Uh so we are capitalizing on this bio movement and it's benefiting us and our animals Uh, Mm -hmm. We personally use everything that we sell. And we also sell to a lot of uh, dry goods vendors at these expos. They Mm -hmm. are uh, selling our moss and our branches and um, not necessarily our dirt because anybody can make dirt. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to send you a message about some moss because we're after talk. (laughs) Hey, girl, I got you. (laughs) (laughs) My moss hookup. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, have you noticed that there are particular species that are doing better or that you um, wouldn't necessarily use bioactive with? Because I know, for example, um, you work with beardies and leopard geckos a lot. And there's kind of the old wives tale of they can never be on loose soil or they can never be on anything but paper towels. So how, how do you notice that those kind of animals are working with potentially bioactive setups? Well, Obviously, the more tropical animals are going to thrive more easily and more quickly than Mm -hmm. anything, you know. Uh, They're the easiest bios to set up, and Mm -hmm. we're keeping basically any tropical gecko, any chameleon, anything like that on bio. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I have gotten a lot of flack 
for the way that I keep my adult leopard geckos because I do keep them on sand. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I've always waited till they're at least 18 months to do so, but personally I've never had any issues with it. Uh, I keep them on fine grain calcium sand because not only have I never had any problems with them ingesting a little bit, it's just extra calcium. They're large enough to poop it out. You know, mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't want to do that with a baby, of course, or, mm-hmm. you know, a sub adult even, um, but my adults have always thrived on it. It's maybe an additional mouthful of calcium for my breeding females. And um, you can scoop it like a litter box. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm a fan of. I definitely do not recommend that for beginner keepers until you are aware of all the pros, cons, consequences of doing so. But I have been keeping um adult leopards on calcium sand for almost 20 years without one death from impaction Mm -hmm. and so so what are you um how how do you feed your animals then that are on a a loose soil like that um are you tong feeding them bugs or do you have a dish for them or do you let the bugs just run around the enclosure and then they hunt them I like to encourage natural behavior in uh-huh. my species. So I do allow them to hunt. Now, when I dump the bugs in, um, first of all, I don't have time to tong feed. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry. Like laughs> no, I mean, I, I figured as much, but just was curious. We, yeah, no, absolutely. We ran the count on our breeders and we are working with like almost a hundred leopard geckos alone. Wow. Wow. So. Uh, yeah, that's too much. <laughs> I don't have time to tongue feed each individual one. And I I do group keep my uh, females of appropriate size. Males are always kept separate unless they're breeding. But um, I do keep my females in groups of uh, two or three, Mm -hmm. um, unless that's not possible. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, case by case, yeah. I just dump the crickets in there. I like to encourage natural behavior and hunting skills. I feel like it keeps them from being so fat because they do get fat. Oh, yes. They got some junk in the trunk. Girl. And that's what you <laughs> want, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's great. But like, I not only do I not have time to tong feed, but I really like to see them do their thing. And mm-hmm. nine out of 10 times, if I'm dumping crickets in there, I'll absolutely sit and watch for just a second to make sure that nobody nabs a tail instead of a Mm -hmm. bug or whatever. But like, like I said, um, personally, I've had zero incidences of feeding and keeping adult leopards on sand for almost 20 years. And I know that's mega controversial and Mm -hmm. I'd probably get a lot of hate. I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, that's just my personal opinion. I'm not advocating it. Mm-hmm. But as a breeder, um, this has been the way that I've been successful. And uh, I can honestly say my husband and I have produced thousands of baby Leos at this point mm-hmm. with no mortality to the adult female breeders the mamas you know yeah that's incredible that's a I mean it you know while controversial it is it is a way of keeping that is accepted and and commonly seen 
And like we've been talking about is, is evolution and how keeping occurs and you have to continue learning. Right. And, and I'm sure if something came out that showed you a horrific side effect of what you're doing, you would be the responsible keeper and, and change, oh my you God. know, that's yes. what we have to do, right? We have to, but, um, it, it doesn't even need to come to that. Um, mm-hmm. You get attacked anytime that you publicize any sort of well-meaned advice. You know, somebody mm-hmm. will straight up ask for advice. And unless it caters to like just what they want to hear, basically, um, you're a villain and you're a horrible person and yes. you're a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you see that all the time. And, and that's why in, in our group specifically, we have that rule about no husbandry policing because right. there's no one way to keep these animals. We're never going to be able to accurately replicate the natural environment to the T that they came from. So keeping them the best way we know how that has been successful is the most important thing. Right. And responsibly sharing that with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got chewed out in the group from someone for saying that you can keep adults on sand, you know, and her argument was beginners don't need to ever do that ever. And while I understand that, like I was just offering my personal opinion, my Mm -hmm. experience, and uh, I never once recommended that they do what I'm doing. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to throw another option out there. uh, And it was not met with like, uh any kind of understanding or mm-hmm. <laughs> well luckily that's an uncommon reaction in the group luckily <laughs> yeah no the group the group is amazing um that's why i agreed to be an admin um mm-hmm. i've never done anything like that before it's really fun to be in a group where you're among like-minded females you know mm-hmm. that oftentimes are going through what you're going through and you can share advice and it's a safe environment. And I just, you should be really proud of what you've done. I'm proud of it. I mean, thank you, but it's, it's what we've done. You know, I just, I just stuck my name on the front of it. (laughs) Newcomer, but yeah, like you, you've been so gracious and awesome to me and it's just the whole vibe of the group in general. And yeah, there's going to be some shit talkers and some naysayers Mm -hmm. and there are going to be days where we don't know what to do because there's drama blowing up, but that's life, you know? Mm -hmm. At the end so, of the day, it's, it's a Facebook group. Like, this is just yeah. a podcast, you know? Yeah, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> you know, no one really knows us. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so I think this is, you know, a, a good time to transition into talking about uh, who are the women that you look up to in the hobby and and who have been the people that you've, um, that have helped grow you as not only a, a keeper, but a woman in the in the hobby. I feel like that question should warrant some sort of answer like uh like someone famous you know like a, <laughs> like a female Steve Irwin you know right <laughs> and um yeah I I don't honestly have any of those uh but I do have some friends that I truly do look up to and it's funny because they're both younger than me but they're amazing women in their field and uh the first one is Hayden Lears. Oh, she's awesome. She's incredible. I look she's up to amazing. her. She's amazing. Yeah. I know, I do too. She's probably a solid decade younger than me. Um, I know she's super young, but just so motivated and with it and 
from the moment I met her, I guess it was about two years ago, probably at Conroe, her mm-hmm. Conroe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, she, she was doing uh, educational lectures at Hertz with Cobras and stuff. Wow. And I was just like, this girl knows her shit. She's amazing. And then I met her and she happens to be just a gem of a person and just yeah. a total sweetheart. Mm-hmm. So, and she's so cool what she's doing with the, uh, with the falconry now. Yeah. Oh my God. Just- Girl, yeah, so she she was super into hots for a while. She was really into monocled cobras, at mm-hmm. least uh, that much I know. And mm-hmm. she she's recently slimmed down her collection to focus on falconry. I know she still has one, at least one monocled. Um, but yeah, she's she's gotten more into her red tail hawk mm-hmm. goose. I know, and, so cute. Uh, <laughs> I got to meet him in Austin. It was amazing. And I am, I have a phobia of birds as weird as oh, that sounds. Oh, really? I am That's very common. Phobic. That's com- like, I'm not- afraid of earthworms. So. Oh, honey. <laughs> hey, I'm not afraid of birds. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, but I get a lot of shit for being afraid of birds when I work with like reptiles and, and venomous, no doubt, you know? Yeah. So that's how I feel I, about worms. Yeah. I get that's it. Funny. <laughs> well, I've, I've met people that are phobic about frogs. So to yeah. each their own, whatever, mm-hmm. I guess it's very funny. Um, but yeah, Hayden is just the coolest. She's got just, she's so down to earth. She's got the best head on her shoulders and she's one of those people that anything she sets her mind to, she's going to be the best at because why do it if you're going to do it poorly? Right. Mm -hmm. So I have the utmost respect for that Mm -hmm. for sure. And, uh, I did want to mention one other lady tonight. Um, Ariana Levine. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sorry. No. Oh, I fucked up. It's Ariana Levine. Okay. I'm not familiar with her. She runs safari tales mm-hmm. in southern mississippi i want to say around the hattiesburg area but right outside of it mm-hmm. she basically she and her parents run their own private zoo she has some wild shit like lemurs camels zebras uh several different species of monkey she's just got a spider monkey he's adorable oh those are so cute. um yeah, uh, but she also does like uh, she's got her own aviary, uh, and she works with uh, retics and berms, and uh, she just her her business motto is love the unloved. And when I found that out, I was like, we need to be friends, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I love um, that. She's such good people and so knowledgeable, and um, just a blessing for the whole industry. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, she sounds lovely. She's doing some really amazing things. I, I can't believe she's not part of our group. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look her up because I haven't heard of her before. But you know, that's that's why we're doing this to introduce people to some new new faces and names exactly. that they wouldn't necessarily know. I would recommend Ari. Uh, Safari Tales is her business, and Tales stands for Teaching About Animals in Live Shows. Okay, cool. So she yeah. does education programs as well education programs, birthday parties, private tours. Um, she has a sloth 
that she does sloth encounters with. Like, it's just, Oh my God. (laughs) I haven't been, but I want to go. Her place sounds magical. She's a friend of mine, but Mm -hmm. um, I only see her when we've been Louisiana shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's really um, interesting too about, about this hobby is I would say some of my best friends I've only met once or twice because they're through the reptile hobby, you know, like the (laughs) two of us, we talk all the time, but I've never met you, (laughs) you know, all the time. This is our first face to face. (laughs) And, and it's, yeah, it's great. I was, I was really excited about like finally putting a, a face and a voice with a name and being able to interact, not just on messenger. Like this mm-hmm. is nice. You know? Yeah. It's excellent. Um, and I totally, I realized we completely skipped over a topic I wanted to cover, which kind of goes back to what Ariana is doing, but can you talk a little bit more about how you run your education programs and what those entail for you? Um, and then I would also love to know how COVID has affected that and how we can work to support you and your husband and, you know, help get the word out about what you're doing. That's amazing. I really appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. it, the education programs were just kind of uh, like a, a filler almost. I don't want to make them sound in, insignificant because mm-hmm. they're of the utmost importance to me, you know, as long as I'm doing this, we may as well educate people. Right. Right. So, um, we our our primary income has been reptile shows and online sales, which, uh, thank you for touching on COVID. I wanted to mention that when the shutdown first happened and shows were getting canceled, we had to resort to a complete online business we had to flip you know everything it's been weird it's so weird and to adapt to it luckily my husband Eric is so good at that already like Mm -hmm. he knows how to work the zoom call he does yeah (laughs) yeah he should have taught me before now because I'm no, coming did, across as a complete <laughs> amateur, but yeah, um, he's the the tech savvy one. So he was doing the kingsnake.com ads and um, because he's been in the industry as a reputable vendor for almost 20 years, um, we were still able to pull through just fine when COVID hit based on uh, online ads. And yeah, the business did need to adapt um, we, you know, instead of prepping for shows, we were prepping to deliver to FedEx, which mm-hmm. by the way, we live in a tiny, tiny, tiny town. It's called <laughs> Water Valley, Mississippi. It's in the middle of nowhere. Oxford, where Ole Miss is, is the closest town to it. Um, so FedEx is not just, you know, let's, let's drive five minutes down the road. It's an hour round trip to go to FedEx. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was Definitely a little bit of an adaptation, but it was no 12-hour trip to San Antonio, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, we we made it work, and uh, I'd say it worked out very well uh, just based on the fact that his name was a recognizable one, and our name was recognizable on online forums. So we really didn't suffer through the uh, shutdown, which... I don't expect that was your typical takeaway from the shutdown. I know a lot of people's businesses went under and Mm -hmm. difficult time for a lot of people. Um, But yeah, we just, 
immediately converted our business to strictly online and um, which presented its own set of challenges, but it worked out mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And now shows are back open. So I'm sorry. What was your original question? No, that was no, don't apologize at all because I think, <laughs> such a, I think this is such an important topic to talk about. And I know some people might not want to hear about COVID right now, but it is, it has had such Nobody. a profound impact you know, on, on how life works and how business works. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thrilled to hear that you, um, have been able to continue to thrive because I want nothing but the best for you. Um, thank you. So before COVID was happening, uh, talk a little bit about the shows you were doing and, and what you were, how you were educating the public and such. Uh, so way back in the day, uh, we would do, Repticon shows. We haven't been with Repticon in a long, long time. We mm-hmm. uh, had fundamental differences in the way that business should be done mm-hmm. and ethics and whatnot. So uh, no offense to any individual that works for Repticon, but we quit doing their shows about four years ago and have done bigger and better each year as a result. Mm-hmm. So we have filtered our efforts into shows that value uh, conservation and education and uh, things like that, more of those values, such as herps, uh, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, the uh, Houston exotic reptile and pet shows mm-hmm. run by Sean Gray and Lori Gibson. I've heard, they, heard only great things about them. They're amazing. They actually like hardcore filter their vendors as much as possible, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So they run a good, clean show as much as they can for uh, vendors and customers alike. Um, They don't have death dealers. They don't have dog fighters, former convicted dog fighters, you know? Yeah. Um, No no need to name names, but once again, we we know. We know. know. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, but Sean and Warrior are like really diligent about just filtering the trash, you know? Uh And, um, making it uh, a good show for all. They don't offer exclusivity for anything, but they also don't want 75% ball pythons. Like they're mm-hmm. definitely going to try to make it more variety than that. They're amazing. Um, we also do a little Southeast Expo called CF Exotics. Mm-hmm. Um, they run shows in Jackson, Tennessee, Montgomery, Alabama, and Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're more all exotics. So you can see like uh, where they're legal, foxes and exotic cats and mm-hmm. um, birds and more, more you know, non-reptiles, but still reptiles. And mm-hmm. uh, they put on a really quality show. Um, and then, yeah, so we we've just started doing like, higher quality shows where the promoters genuinely have their best uh, interests for their vendors at heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a happy medium somewhere. We still do occasional online sales, but if any day's a good day where I don't have to drive an hour to FedEx and back. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, Absolutely. Um, And so when you are looking at those online sales, uh, going back to Venomous a little bit, um, Mm Do you do a large portion of venomous sales online? None. None? None. Um, We've been pretty particular about that because uh, to, uh, 
Delta had a thing for a while where they weren't shipping venomous and Mm -hmm. I, I'm not even caught up. They may or may not be now. I think they are back on doing it. But Mm -hmm. um, the reason I'm out of the loop is because we never really messed around with that to begin with. Um, Mm -hmm. We always did our venomous sales locally because I want you to sign the waiver. I want to talk to you in person. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and, and not to mention shipping hots is like an all day affair for us. The airport is not close. Right. Like, so we have a, um, we've always had a $500 minimum on Venomous, which has kind of deterred anybody from being like, oh, ship me a copperhead, ship mm-hmm. me a rattle, like one single animal, you know, mm-hmm. unless it's something really high end, it hasn't come up yet. But um, we do not ship Venomous just kind of as a thing. We would if the situation called for it, but it never has. And Mm -hmm. it's made our lives easier as a result, I feel like. So you you mentioned um you mentioned Delta and how far the airport is. For people who don't know, can you explain the difference between shipping a non-venomous animal and what it takes to ship a hot? Oh sure. Um there are certain species like uh, invertebrates, tarantulas, scorpions, uh, anything like that, jumping spiders. You can ship through USPS. And now with the way that they've been functioning lately, I wouldn't count on live arrival or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, but that, uh, talking about legality, you can legally ship bugs through USPS. Mm-hmm. Does that, um, uh, does that any toxicity bugs, any, you know, level of, of venom that they could put out? Uh, obviously they have to be properly created and contained and everything. Right. So, of course. Um, yeah, I, I am unaware of any legislation prohibiting say like a, a centipede versus a mm-hmm. curly hair tarantula. I, I okay. honestly don't know the answer to that. Well, I can Google it, (laughs) but yeah, no, I'm sure you can. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but because the amount of bugs, the amount of shipping that we do is minimal anyway. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do know that, yeah, the majority of, um, tarantulas, inverts in general, cause they all, they all have a toxicity level, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but those are illegal to ship through USPS. Um, things like uh, any kind of snake, turtle, tortoise, etc., needs to be shipped through like a FedEx or US or I'm sorry UPS. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, yeah, we do FedEx. Um, not that's only my preferred. Yeah. UPS has burned us a couple times. So Mm -hmm. um, we like FedEx and we're at the point now, actually, it's kind of nice where uh, we drive 30 minutes to our FedEx location and they know us Mm -hmm. uh, because the packages are marked clearly as they legally have to be. Of course. um, Either live animal, live reptile, live harmless reptile, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And then do not according to season, do not heat, do not, uh, freeze. Mm -hmm. Um, so our 
local FedEx facilities so sweet will walk in and they're like what are you shipping today what's in this box like my local FedEx knows me too but they they don't get excited Mm because I always I always uh, slice the box open at FedEx just to make sure everything's alive make sure I get the guarantee so you give them a heart attack straight away I don't, I don't like I'll like, I, I don't, but they know who I am now. They're like, what did you get today? And I'm like, it's a gecko. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I just have to, yeah. cause I have to bring them back to work when I pick up from my FedEx. Cause, um, so I always pick them up in the morning and then they sit on my desk at my cubicle until I can go home for lunch. But yes. so you ship a uh, harmless reptiles through FedEx, but what do you do for the hots? Um, they have to go through, um, the, appropriate provided airline Mm -hmm. uh for a while that was delta it might be again uh honestly that's not my forte i -hmm. don't ship hots i receive hots uh occasionally but due to covid we haven't gotten uh any shipments we haven't even tried you know um that's just not where our focus is right now but yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, I'm, I'm not so versed in shipping hots. Uh, I know how to, theoretically. I've done it a couple of times. It's always been through Delta. It's always been a pain. It's always been an entire day for me commuting back and forth and mm-hmm. whatnot. So um, we just, uh, we, we've said $500 minimum for shipping. And that's been a good deterrent for yeah, anybody. Wanting us to ship. <laughs> They're like, we'll just catch you at your next show. Mm-hmm. Well, it also makes them place. think, you know, you they're know? like, okay, well, do I really want this? Am I going to drive to Tennessee sure. to get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of it, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, we just have so much more success selling in person at shows and that way I get to feel the customer out and um we have always reserved the right to deny sale to anyone that we feel is unqualified or incompetent or just rubs you the wrong way gives you Mm -hmm. a bad vibe uh and that is that should be your right as a venomous vendor or as a vendor in general exactly yes yes yeah so uh we are hitting the right about the hour and a half mark so I have a a final question for you and then we're gonna wrap this up but that's okay um all right so I didn't prep you for this one but I want to (sighs) ask if you could only keep one species of venomous and one species of non-venomous what would you choose yikes I know (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that is, uh, that is a toughie. Um, okay. I have one species of venomous and one species of non-venomous. Mm-hmm. can be snake, lizard, invert, whatever you want. Oh, fucking yikes, girl. Uh, <laughs> I know. Right. That's why I kept trying to figure out. I was like, what is it? What's your affinity? Uh, and you were like everything. Uh, yeah, no, that's a brilliant question. Um, so for, for my venomous, I think I might pick an African species of cobra, um, whether it be a banded Egyptian. I I do love my banded Egyptians so much. Um, they, they have so much variety and personality. Some of them are dicks. Some of them are loves. <laughs> um, some of them 
I have thought about free handling. Like, and then some of them, I'm like, oh God, you couldn't pay me to put my hands on that snake. Like they, they just vary so much. They keep me on my toes. I really like that. Um, but man, uh, what a tough question. Right. <laughs> this is one of those questions that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be like, you dumbass, you answered <laughs> wrong. That's like, why I was like, I got to catch you off her guard because it, it makes you oh, think about it a little bit more. Um, Okay, so I was actually thinking about um, this might not answer your question, but wishlist species. Oh, tonight. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking because I I don't know that I have very many wishlist species. I just acquired a pair of scrub pythons and oh, machine really? pythons. That's yes. awesome. And a pair of anacondas. Like oh, green, green or anacondas. yellow? Green. Nice. Green. I had a pair of yellows (laughs) back in the day. I loved them to death, but they just, we wanted greens, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the right offer came up and um, we sold them. We sold the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we finally got a pair of CBB baby greens. Awesome. Um, So, yeah, um, I... It's hard to think about bucket list animals, but um, I did think of one tonight that I wanted to mention. If you ask the question, so what's so a bucket list not, animal? Well, yeah. <laughs> what's your it's bucket not, list animal? There you go. There's the question. <laughs> it's not necessarily what non-venomous would you keep for the rest of your life? Because I don't even know. I haven't had them, but I have a feeling that it would be my bucket list animal. It's one of the few things I have never gotten a chance to work with, but they always impress me when I see them in person. Do you have any guesses? I literally have no idea. Cause you're um, so, you're so all over the board with what you keep and what you have I know. that I hey, feel like fair. I couldn't even guess. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, Eastern indigos. Oh God. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, how can you that's, not? How can you not? They look like a damn cobra. Right. But you can have them around your neck. That was how I met my first Eastern. It was at a, a reptile show in Knoxville or Charlotte or I, I don't even know. But this guy came around with a eight foot Eastern indigo on his back. And I thought to myself, that looks like Griselda. Griselda is my biggest monocled cobra. Okay. So I was like, that can't be Grizz, but it looks just like Grizz. <laughs> and yeah, so just a, a handleable cobra-esque, like, mm-hmm. you know, that that would um, that would fulfill the need to put your hands on something, quote, dangerous, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's an excellent answer. Yeah. So, um, uh Elise, I think we're kind of reaching the end of our time. Um, Can you please let people know where they can find you, where they can look at your animals if you're interested and where you are on like Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, I tried to start a website years ago and it's just too much upkeep for the uh, (laughs) overturn of what we've Mm -hmm. got. So um, we are very prevalent on Facebook. Uh, You can find us at uh, facebook.com slash E the number two and the letters E X O E two X O. 
And then from there, I have an Instagram where it's mainly reptiles and some cameos of my geriatric puppy and kitty, (laughs) um, sweet boys. And that's at, uh, Instagram.com slash, uh, E2 exotics. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Again, that was Elise Legault. Um, And I want to thank everyone for listening to the first official episode of the Modern Medusa podcast. Elise, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here today. My name is Dominique DeFalco. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm DeFalco Reptiles on Facebook and Instagram. Another huge shout out to Joe Phelan of Port City Pet for putting on this podcast. And thank you to everyone who's been so supportive so far. And if you're interested in joining our Facebook group, it's the Female Herpers and Reptile Keepers group. So Elise, once again, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Dom. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. We'll talk at you next week. Thank you.